Hi, I'm Abby Mercado, an IVF mom, former VC investor, and CEO of Rescripted. Welcome to the Future of Fertility, a podcast dedicated to shining a light on the entrepreneurs and innovators who are changing the face of family building. With billions in funding over the past few years, we'll introduce you to the people, the ideas, and the businesses that are changing the fertility industry and in turn, millions of people's lives. The future of fertility is bright. Now let's get into it. Noelle Acosta is the co-founder and CEO of NULA Health. NULA is for birthing people who want to better understand and take care of their bodies, making personalized reproductive health information and support more accessible through affordable at-home precision health testing, digital care plans, and one-on-one coaching from experts. I love it when a cold LinkedIn outreach leads to an actual meaningful relationship because that's Noelle and my story. Yes, I was the culprit, the cold outreacher. Anyone who knows Noelle knows that she A, has a heart of gold and B, is on a mission to completely upend how we think about reproductive health. And with that, I would love to to welcome Noelle to the podcast today. Welcome, my friend. Yes, thank you so much for that intro, Abby. It was I was literally just beaming with smiles. Like you are so incredibly sweet. I, it's an honor to be on this podcast. Um, thank you for having me. I love how we were able to connect through just cold outreach on LinkedIn. I'm always just so inspired by wonderful and in- inspirational founders like yourself. So it was a no brainer to take <laughs> to so connect sweet. with you in the first place. See, do you hear that fans? She's the heart of gold already coming through. Um, <laughs> so Noelle, welcome. Let's start out. Um, I'm so excited to just hear about your path and um, more about Nula today and just to share your amazing story with our audience. Um, so first things first, Alas, just all about yourself. Um, and I would love for you to dive into kind of one fun fact um, that we might not know about you if we, you know, click on your LinkedIn profile or um, read a little bit about your founding story, Nola. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, again, my name is Noelle. I'm the co founder and CEO of Nula. Um, I've always been very passionate about women's health. So, I, a little bit about me. I, I initially, I, I actually grew up in the Bay Area in California, um, was living in San Francisco for th- 13 years and recently became a, a new East Coaster. So relocated to New York last fall. To I know. Um, and so, I'm, wait, I feel like we're winter. seeing more and more of that in the tech industry. It's like, you know, m- many of us are by coastal. Actually, I'm not, I live in Denver, but you know, a lot of people are leaving SF to yeah. go to New York and Miami is super hot too. So anyway, yep. you uh, had a winter. Like yep, hello. So <laughs> I was actually very excited about the snow because um I also apparently only West Coast per se the snow. <laughs> but um that's what I've been told. Uh but it was a really fun winter. It wasn't as bad as I anticipated, but it was actually really funny because I realized I never truly had a coat and I was like, no wonder I'm so cold in San Francisco all the time. Like my version of a, a coat was not a real coat. Um, and so, yeah. Like an are... anorak or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, protect yourself um, from the fog of, of the bay or whatever they say out there. Right. Carl the fog. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in California, born and raised. Um, I'm half Mexican, half Filipino, first generation college grad. And so 
Um, how I actually supported myself throughout school is through my own entrepreneurial ventures. I'm also a huge dog lover. So um, I actually started and sold a subscription box company for pet owners before Instagram was even a thing. Um, grew my my user base to over 100 monthly subscribers and ended up becoming too much while trying to manage the logistics of that and taking genetics and cellular, cellular neuroscience. I was like, okay, this is too much as a pre-med student. Um, and so I ended up selling off my client list to um, a competitor. And that was really the, my first taste of true entrepreneurship. That's amazing. Um, again, and so that was in college. Yeah. I, I, I sold it at 21. So, and then I was a dog walker for people um, like wealthy families in San Francisco. And that's how I support myself. And that's so, an amazing, yeah. that's an amazing foray into entrepreneurship. Did you have your own dog at the time or were you just like, yes. I, I love all dogs? Okay. 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 Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, but really I, a fun fact about me is, um, I'm a self-taught surfer. So I taught myself how to surf in my twenties and, you know, my partner and I, we've been surfing up and down the California coast. We got a bunch of our friends to learn how to surf too. So we just like formed this group of surfers. Um, obviously we're not doing much of that in New York. Um, and so it's definitely something we miss, but we do love the energy vibrancy of the city here. Amazing. Okay. So tell us like what, what happened what you put yourself through college, you know, you were an early entrepreneur, like you yeah. had an exit, like amazing. Okay. So what, tell us about kind of your career path after you did that. Was it mm-hmm. entrepreneurship yeah. or bust or, you know, did you work for a large company? I don't know. It might be a leading question. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, I was a pre-med student. My goal was actually to become an OBGYN. Um, and truthfully, I did the complete opposite. Um, being in San Francisco at the time, I decided to go into tech sales, which is obviously the complete opposite of medical school. Um, and the reason for that was because once I actually shadowed um, one OBGYN specifically, um, I honestly was spooked. Um, this person warned me saying, you know, I'm so burnt out. This isn't worth it. Mm. You don't work for patients. You work for insurance companies. Yeah. And it was just so clear that they were so exhausted by the system. And, you know, again, as someone who supported myself through school, the thought of incurring that much debt to be in a position where I could be unhappy um, made me question kind of my career path. And so I finished school and scratched my head like, okay, what am I going to do? Um, what, what initially, what initially was like, made you want to take that path and just like made you interested in being an OGM? Yeah. I, I've always, you know, I, you know, since I was a kid, I was just always interested in how the body worked. I remember, um, even just sitting with my dog as, you know, a child wrapping the dog <laughs> up in like bad, like gauze and just, you know, pretending like I'm I was sure a, the dog loved a doctor. That. Yes. <laughs> so it, it was just always something that really interested me. I really wanted to be in a position where I could Im- make an impact in the world. And I felt that, you know, becoming a doctor would fulfill that for me. Mm-hmm. And I've also been very interested in science. Like I'm actually a huge nerd about genetics <laughs> right now. So, um, you know, naturally I decided to pursue med school or pre-med and wanted to move on the path to going to med school. Um, but in, after those events, you know, I thought, okay, maybe this isn't for me. 
Um, my stomach is actually a lot weaker than I thought it'd be after taking anatomy lab, um, which was yeah. funny. Um, Di- dissecting frogs or what have you. No, you well, didn't do that. No. Well, like actual humans. Actual humans. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Well, yeah. that's so crazy. I was- <laughs> Obviously, I, I was like a history major. Like this is yeah. like so different. Anyway, well, thank you for, you know, yeah. studying things to make our world better. Yeah. So that really, you know, it, I've always wanted to be a a doctor and um, I have cousins who are doctors too. And just kind of seeing what they were doing, I was always just very inspired by what they were able to accomplish as Mexican women. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was something that I was like, I want to be just like them. Um, And then, you know, obviously that turned completely upside down after my experience um, shattering those physicians. And so I went into tech sales um, and my, I went in saying, okay, I'm going to do this for a few years, save up for med school, and then I'll go to med school. I ended up um, loving working in um, go-to-market organizations within um, startups. So the very first company I joined was a tiny startup. There was literally um, four of us in a business, in a tiny room in a business park. Um, And it was just so exciting being able to contribute um, to the growth and, and scalability of that company. And I built my career, um, doing that. So built my career leading and scaling sales and business development teams at a variety of startups from, uh, B2B SaaS companies to digital health companies. Most recently before NULA, I was at Maven clinic, um, the largest virtual clinic for women and families and, and help scale their team. Um, and, and it was just such a wonderful journey. And so I didn't look back. Um, but really my passion for women's health was reignited after my own struggles with a chronic reproductive health condition that I felt went on for too long without answers and where I truly felt like I was the one in five women being dismissed in their provider's office. And I was someone who had wonderful access to care, being in the Bay Area. I had and like working for from, Maven, right? You know, yeah, this is this is before Maven, before but Maven, gotta go. yeah, um, I had wonderful employer-sponsored health insurance, um, and yet when I was going to the doctor, you know, I felt like my experience was extremely transactional. It was impersonal. Um, the there wasn't any kind of, it's, I don't know, there wasn't even push to just understand what was going on with my body. It was like here's a prescription for birth control. That one's not working. Okay, let's write you um, one with higher estrogen. And it was just kind of like the cycle of here's a new birth control prescription. Here's a new birth control prescription. And first, I mean, uh, I hope you don't mind me sharing too much, but um, really what prompted it was, yeah, um, really what prompted it was um, I had switched birth control methods. So I went from an IUD and decided I'm just going to go back on, on the pill. And after I did that, um, I began menstruating for seven months straight. Um, Ooh, and that sounds the, like utter it was, and complete hell. It I'm was so sorry. Hell. Um, the worst. And, you the know, worst. we know that it, it truly was. And we know that reproductive health impacts every aspect of our lives. It's more than just physical and it truly disrupted my life in every way possible. Um, I, also, I, had such- I also like how you're already like in the early stages of this podcast like, talking <laughs> yeah. about, talking about reproductive health, like not as it relates to like having a baby, having a family. This is actually something 
that you experienced, I, I think in your twenties and you were like, mm-hmm. okay, this is a reproductive health thing that is affecting my lifestyle, like how I live every single day. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we, ta- when, like when I talk about reproductive health and, you know, people who don't know a lot about reproductive health, who quote unquote have it easy, they're like, oh, this is like all about having babies. Like, no, it yeah. is not. It is so much more than that. So anyway, go on. Exactly. Exactly. With that little, no, little no, I am 100% thing. with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so and it, it got to the point where my cramping was so bad and painful that some days I couldn't stand up straight. I constantly had a heating pad like glued to me. I was popping more ibuprofen than I should have just to get through the day. And I remember having to vomit in the office from the pain. I had chronic migraines. And yet when I, I would go to the doctor, you know, the responses were, oh, you know, some people just have longer periods or more painful periods than usual. Just take, you know, Tylenol. Um, that birth control is not working. Let's try a different one. Uh, without actually understanding, like, I didn't have a single hormone panel done to see what wow. was actually causing this issue. It was just like, here's a prescription. Um, and so, like, 70% of millennials, I ended up turning to Google for support as my medical companion. And actually, it was after I had a male gynecologist tell me, well, I was still on my exam table. If you think you're in pain now, sweetie, you have no idea what you're in for when you give birth. Stop. And yes, <laughs> it gets better. Um, and so I was like, okay, maybe this is just the way my body's supposed to be. And I went through this emotional roller coaster of is this in my head? You know, my doctors don't seem to care. So clearly maybe it's not that big of a deal. And this is just the way I'm supposed to be because I've always had a history of irregular periods. Um, and I remember we had a few friends over, um, and it was for a Friday happy hour, and I fell asleep on the couch and didn't wake up till the next afternoon because I was so fatigued from this. Mm -hmm. And my friends are generally very concerned. So I finally went back and advocated myself. I was reading tons of medical journals, doing so much research online, trying to figure out what the hell was going on with my body. And so I went back to the doctor's office, essentially self-diagnosing myself saying, Hey, I think I have fibroids, cysts, endometriosis. I don't know, but I demand an ultrasound. And Turns out I had 45 cysts on my left ovary. Stop it. That sounds like a lot of cysts. (laughs) Just a bit. Um, And and even at that point, you know, my doctor scratched their head and said, hmm, well, I don't know why your birth control isn't working. So since you didn't have a problem with your IUD, let's put another one in. And when you're ready to have a baby, call us because you're probably going to need fertility treatment. And as you said, you know, I was in my 20s at the time. I was not ready to even start thinking about having a family. So... I was extremely frustrated because I felt like my health didn't matter until I was ready to bear a child. And what if that wasn't on my horizon? Like, does my health, like, is that not as important as if, you know, when I'm ready to have a baby? And so just an IUD, like that's, you know, an IUD is kind of a big deal. Like, yeah, it hurts. It really, really, really hurts. I just got one. No fun. No fun. Yeah, no fun. So um, that was the end of my care. Um, And to this day, I haven't received any additional support for my PCOS. Um, It's really just been up to me. Um, And that was in 2019. And so after that experience... um, And also, I just want to point out that, like, I mean, you had training in college to read medical journals. mm -hmm. And, like, you know, probably, like, super preliminary training. Like, you didn't go to med school. But, like, you know, you probably took biology classes where you were like, okay, I have to read this thing and I have to interpret it. Like, 
we're not all like privileged enough to like, yeah, who's going to go out and read a medical journal. Like that is uncommon. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I was in a position where, and my, my partner is actually a chemist. So but he can also even read like the methods and say, okay, this seems, this study seems more, um, just, credible than the other because their sample size was larger. Here's what the instrument they use. This has a more, like he walked me through like <laughs> all of those, all of like kind of the, um, the instruments that they used and the accuracy and so on and so forth. And so the fact that he even had that access to an analytical chemist was something that <laughs> most people don't have. Right. So, you know, I, yeah, there's really like angry. not, not a dating app like meet chemist, <laughs> meet a chemist. So like maybe that's, that's a <laughs> really idea. spicy. Conversation. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Looking forward um, to having coffee with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I thought, you know, if this was my experience as someone who had access to high quality care, had the know-how to advocate for myself and also had greater health literacy than probably the average, you know, woman and birthing person, I can't imagine what the average woman goes through who doesn't have those, especially women of color like me who face greater access barriers to care. Um, and so I knew I wanted to change this for the better. And I joined Maven Clinic. Um, I wanted to learn as much as possible. I wanted to be surrounded by like-minded individuals who care deeply about this mission. And um spent uh, about uh, almost two years there and then left to build new life. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, so tell, share, share with us how the, the idea came across. Um, and you know, what was, what was that moment when you said to yourself, like, Noelle, I think it's time to leave Maven, this rocket ship. Um, like, I think there's actually, this is an amazing company, but I think there's actually something like missing that can be additive here that I should go mm-hmm. create. Like, tell us about kind of the the theorizing around early NULA and what kind of gave you the, the strength and the confidence to leave and to start this. Yeah. Um, so with that, really, I found myself Honestly, like me reading all the medical journals was probably like kind of the first indicator. It was like, okay, one, the system is inherently designed to work against us, not for us. It's very reactionary, not proactive. And so I knew it's also not built to recognize me as an individual. It's built to kind of be very like, like, I guess like one size fits all when it comes to an approach to care. And so from me reading all of those journals and trying to figure out, okay, what is my unique body telling me was kind of the first indicator because I found that that is what a lot of companies and, and health solutions are missing is they're not designed based on our individual makeup and our total health makeup. So beyond just physical, but emotional, uh, mental, even like our family history, things like that. So that's one aspect that um, really influenced Nula's roadmap and what it is today. The other piece was having the empathetic support. You know, it was an incredibly isolating journey um, that I was left to navigate on my own. And really, no one knew could relate to what I was going through. Um, and so I knew we needed to also build a better support system to support women through 
these hard times in their in their care journeys. And so those that was kind of like the initial um, prompt. And I initially was very laser focused on pre and postnatal health because despite us being one of the most industrialized nations in the world, the U.S. has the worst maternal mortality rates. Um, and Hispanic and black women specifically are three to four times more likely to die, um, from childbirth related causes, yet 60% of these deaths are preventable. So that was like my initial thesis. I was like, okay, let's go there, um, and tackle this problem. But with, when I decided to take the leap, um, you know, I, I had been noodling on this idea of NULA and, and knew I wanted to build something to address a problem that I face that I know so many other people face too. But honestly, the catalyst was a very personal one. Um, I last January, I had a scare with a potential brain tumor. Um, and I remember sitting in the ambulance and this was during COVID. So I was trans, I was being taken to the hot UCSF, um, in an ambulance by myself. My husband couldn't come with me. And I remember, I don't know why this stuck with me so much, but I remember seeing a streetlight and it was at 2 a.m. Um, and I remember seeing the streetlight through the window of the ambulance and that immediate thought, the first two thoughts that came to my mind are like, there's so much more that I want to experience in life with my partner. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and, you know, I could leave this earth as making an impact or as a cog in a wheel. And so I told myself, you know, if I can, if I make it through this, I, I'm going to do something to change the world. Even if it fails, at least I tried. And so luckily. Holy hell, Noel! What a story. Okay. So, so yeah. luckily you're. you're I don't have bed. a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a, I had a massive seizure. Um, this seizures that, um, that I had are typically, um, linked and tied to brain tumors. Um, mm-hmm. so they initially thought, you know, you'll probably never have one again, so don't worry about it. Um, okay. and last, um, winter I was diagnosed with epilepsy, adult onset epilepsy. Um, so that was truly like best case scenario, like Great. manageable, but that moment was truly like the catalyst for me to say, okay, look in the mirror and look ahead of, of your future. Like, yeah. And yeah. so I decided, okay, I'm going to make the decision to do this full time. Um, I tried to save up what I could. Okay, to- good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're touching on this. This is like exactly something I wanted to touch on. You know, I feel like the the audience that we see for this podcast is varied, but I feel like you know a lot of who you know I personally want to talk to is like the aspiring fertility entrepreneurs. Like mm-hmm. there are just so many problems in this space. So Anyway, how do, like as somebody who quit their like, how do you plan to start your startup from a financial perspective? Like, you still have to eat, you have to pay your rent. Like, how, how you just like how did you think through that? It was incredibly hard, and you yeah. know, I was it, and I hate to say this, but like the to start a startup, you know. I find that oftentimes many founders do have this cushion to support them. Um, I was fortunate enough where, you know, having my career in um, tech sales as a sales leader um, allowed me to be in a position where, okay, I could set aside some money, but it wasn't like, you know, I had a year's worth of quote unquote runway to support myself. 
Um, I saved up enough to give myself three to six months max. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so that's so hard. And, and when VCs are like, how much of your own money have you invested? <laughs> like literally all of it. <laughs> my life. <laughs> my whole entire life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's funny because one of the very first investors I talked to, she told me you should be raising your first half a million from friends and family. And I was like, I don't have yeah. that access to capital because oftentimes even with friends and family rounds, it need, they need to come from accredited investors, which requires a net worth of a million dollars. I don't know anyone in my life who has that net worth. Yeah, so, hard. so, um, you know, truthfully, a lot of it came from grit and a lot yeah. of it came from luck. Yeah. So I, um, biked all around San Francisco cause I couldn't, I couldn't drive anymore. Um, so I biked all around San Francisco because of, because of the epilepsy. Oh, wow. Okay. So you have, uh, well, it was before, yeah, yeah, yeah. against you. Yeah. So, um, I biked all around chasing down people to see if they'd be willing to talk to me and see if like, is this, you know, to learn about Nula, like, and kind of my, or just interview people. Like, can you just tell me about like what your experience was like? Um, cause I wanted to see is, was my experience in the doctor's office a fluke or is this a very common theme amongst women and birthing people? And it was, mm-hmm. I interviewed over 250 people, um, and despite none of our stories being some like alike, we all had similarities in our frustrations and feeling like we were left to fill the fragmented pieces and gaps in care ourselves. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm on, I think I'm onto something. And I applied to accelerators. I, I applied to YC like four times and got rejected every time. Um, you hear that YC? Yes. <laughs> you, um, mi- you missed out. Yeah. Um, but I connected with a, an accelerator called visible hands Mm -hmm. and met them and got in. So that was truly the way for me to leave my, my job and try to build new one. And so that started September of last year and it was a three month program. And I said, okay, there was a small investment there. So that gave me an extra three months. So, and that gave me September through December um, and then I was like, I need to raise by end of February, maybe end of March max, or I need to go, um, back into the workforce. And so that's what we did. <laughs> and we did it. Yeah. We raised, um, an oversubscribed pre-seed round of $1.4 million, which made me, makes me one of less than a hundred Latina women to ever raise a million dollars. Um, and we did oh, that in a short period of time, pre-revenue, pre-product as a solo founder and just really painting my vision. And so, um, I feel incredibly fortunate to be in this position, but it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, tell us kind of what you, how, how have you used the money that you've raised to, you know, create the products that tell us today. Let's do it. Yeah. So Nula provides personalized, proactive and data-driven reproductive health information and support. Um, and again, we do that through at-home testing of key reproductive health biomarkers, culturally competent, personalized care plans, and dedicated one-on-one health coaching from experts. So that's the makeup of our beta today. Um, so we use the, the funds to um, <laughs> launch our beta product, our MVP, and bring on our founding team. So now we are a mighty team of four and growing. Um, we have our folks on our beta, um, giving us wonderful feedback and testing the product. Um, 
And what was most interesting is I, you know, I told you my initial thesis was we're going to support primarily um, pregnant people to start and then grow from there. It actually has been the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, we majority of our users, I would say over 70% of our users today are in this path of either they're currently trying to conceive or they are thinking about their family building future saying, okay, I know that I want to start a family maybe in one to three years, but I want to better understand my body so that I can understand my options from there. And so that's truly the biggest makeup is they want to understand their hormone health to make informed decisions about their healthcare journey. And they're coming to NULA for that. Um, And so that feels just, you know, I think it's a testament to you again, how we are not alone in this. Um, And people are seeking support outside of their doctor's office. And I, I mean, it's, it's understandable. It's understandable because, you know, the healthcare system is also designed to work against physicians. They're burnt out. Only 50% of counties even have access to an OBGYN and the average appointment length is less than 15 minutes. So your time with your provider is very little and you can't truly receive the individualized empathetic care within that time period. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about this concept of whole health as it relates to reproductive health. And I'd like to understand specifically some of the biomarkers that you guys are testing for that, you know, are, are unique, like that, you know, an average doctor might not test for, might not have time to test for, might not think about testing for, might not have a code to test for, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Like why does whole health matter and how does, how does NOLA address it? Yeah, so it is incredibly important because we we know, like, as I mentioned, like, we know that no two journeys are alike. Like if we were to compare, you and I were to compare our medical history, like it would look wildly different. Even our goals are probably different. Our makeup is entirely different and our cultural backgrounds are different, which has an impact on our health. Mm -hmm. And so why is it that we are okay navigating our health in a system that is truly like designed to support white men. Like it wasn't until 1991 until women were required to be in clinical trials. So there's so much unknown about our bodies and our bodies as women and birthing people should not be a mystery. And so we really wanted to help empower patients and their physicians to understand the whole you to provide personalized treatment and proactive care to guide them in their journey. So that that the bedrock of care is truly preventative versus the way the system is where healthcare is designed to treat diseases, not people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that sick, has been our sick thesis. care versus yep. sick care. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so what can we do to empower um, us to proactively get ahead of our health, take care of our bodies so that we don't, you know, we're not in a position where it's, we're in pain or we are dealing with a chronic condition where it's too late, for example, or a disease, you know, like, and so that's really our goal. Um, and for NULA specifically, today we're testing for um, key biomarkers that span across um, different hormones. We look at heart health because um, heart disease is actually one of the number one killers for women. Um, also, over half of American birth people go into pregnancy with poor heart health, which in turn has an impact of your of your total. Um, maternal and fetal outcomes. Um, We look at key vitamins because oftentimes we're deficient in some vitamin and we look at 
specifically um, your thyroid stimulating hormone because yeah. one in 10 women will develop a thyroid condition at some point in their lives. Yeah. And so we want to empower you with a full picture of your total health and well-being so that you can understand it and work with your care providers on um, the proactive or even, you know, if you do need to be treated, like the right treatment plan to get out of it. And so we actually have had a couple beta users who, because of NULA, they were able to work with their doc. They, one, they brought their results to their doctor um, and were diagnosed with hereditary thyroid conditions. Um, and because of NULA, you know, we were able to flag that early before it started impacting other parts of their bodies, like their heart. Um, and they were able to work on a preventative treatment plan. And now that treatment plan is a NULA and they're using NULA to proactively take care of their bodies. So, so somebody gets, so, you know, a test kit is sent to somebody's home. Um, they, you know, old blood, they do a finger prick, mm -hmm. um, they send it back to you guys, you test it for a bunch of things. And then they're provided with their results and kind of the next step for, for the consumers is they like take it to their doctor. Like what's kind of the, the idea yeah. step for them? Yes. So basically when they get their results, um, you, they can use Nula even before, like while they're waiting for their test kit to be to arrive, because we do ask, um, you know, about their goals and their total health so that they can start actively using NULA from day one, they have a dedicated NULA care coach who's there really as your empathetic expert to be your companion throughout mm -hmm. your journey. So these are reproductive health experts. Um, one specifically, she is an RN. So she's just been an incredible help for our users to date. Um, but essentially, once you get your results back, um, we explain, you know, why we tested for, I mean, we did this even before, but, you know, you get a breakdown of what each biomarker means, mm -hmm. how it's linked to your overall health as a woman and birthing person. Um, if there are any abnormal um, ranges, like if something's high or low, we'll share, okay, tip, like this is what it may mean. We cannot, we are not diagnosing you with mm -hmm. anything. Um, it's truly intended to be for wellness purposes. And then you have the call with the NULA, um, RN or care coach to say, to kind of walk through, okay, as your next step, talk to your provider about your results. I'm really empowering them to have those conversations. Um, and then they take the results to their doctor until, and then go from there. Amazing. And, you know, meanwhile, you're kind of proposing, you know, some kind of wellness plans through the application. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So like one example is what we also measure vitamin D. Yeah. So, um, my test specifically said I had low vitamin D. So I, I worked with my new care coach to set a goal to, um, go for 25 minute walk, um, three to four times a week and to get some, uh, lovely. and so I've been making time to do that. Yeah. And you're like, I don't mind this. Yeah. It's also a nice break from like, okay, take care of my mental health too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we create these custom goals based on our results and yeah. our own personal goals as well. Yeah. And I also feel like, I mean, supplement brands are everywhere these days. I'm like, that's, that's fantastic. But sometimes they're not like, they're like, I, I'm not sure what I, like, I don't, I don't know if I should take a certain supplement because I like don't have the proper data on my body, but mm -hmm. you know, the Google Facebook marketing engine is like, you need this, you need this, you need this. Yes. I'm like, I, don't, I actually don't know what I need. Like, what does my body tell me what, that I need? 
I, know, um, I keep you know. getting ones that are like, your clock is ticking. You should think about this. And they're like, <laughs> screw you. I know I work in reproductive health. Relax. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, okay. So I want to spend a bit of time just diving into culturally competent care. What does that mean? Why is it important? What does it mean to you, Noel, CEO? Mm-hmm. Tell Like, why is this important? Tell us all the things. Okay. Yeah. So first, um, you know, I think in order, our our mission is to deliver and foster equitable, accessible healthcare that actually puts you first. And so again, that goes back to how we're delivering on that mission is to that individualized care. Mm-hmm. And that also needs to include the diverse makeup of, you know, all the wonderful people here um, on this earth. And that includes, you know, we need to recognize that there are disparities in, um, you know, how our bodies react to maybe different, I don't know, or are susceptible to like different diseases or more prone to things. Like, so for example, like, um, with my PCOS, I learned in a conference, not in my doctor's office, that Mexican women specifically have the highest phenotype for risk for infertility if they have PCOS. So that was like the fact that I learned that from a conference from like, a doctor speaking on, um, you know, on stage versus me being physically in the doctor's office was surprising because that shouldn't have been the case. And so we really want to recognize that whole individual and provide a safe and familiar space for all birthing people. And so we really lean in heavily with cultural competency and, and inclusivity. And so you'll notice that I'm constantly using, you know, the phrase birthing people. Um, we, actively do everything we can to create um, this safe space for people recognizing um, how they identify, you know, their goals, if they have cultural preferences, for example. So another thing too um, is that, like for example, um, Hispanic, Asian, Black, and Native American women are have a higher incidence rates for gestational diabetes than white women. And what many physicians also don't know is like, there's a lot of corn in our diet. So we're eating more glucose than, right. than probably white, white women. And so like these cultural differences do have an impact on our health. And then if you're not recognizing that and you're providing treatment plans, like you need to eat healthier. Um, it's like, what does or, that mean? Like, right, you know, yeah. what does healthier mean? Like, do you know about my diet? Like what, yeah, what exactly. was I raised on? Like, what do I mm-hmm. like? What are my preferences? Yeah. Like people want to eat healthier, but you know, for, even for me, like if you gave me a list of like, okay, you, you need to eat healthier. Here's a list of foods to eat peas, kales, trout, Cod, I'd be like, this sounds, I I've don't even know what to do with that. I don't want, I, I don't want Yeah. <laughs> um, and then even just access to high quality food. So in the early days when I was doing customer discovery, I purposely wanted to talk to as many different people as possible across um, different genders, ages, socioeconomic backgrounds, locations. And I made an effort to interview um, women in living in food deserts in Los Angeles. And so one Hispanic woman was sharing how, you know, she had these, um, recurrent, this recurrent inflammation. Um, but she didn't know what to do about it because she was like, I didn't, the closest grocery store to me was the liquor store. So she, you know, and so all of these things and these social determinants of health are so important to understand so that we can deliver better outcomes overall. I could go on and on about this. So, oh, I mean, it's it's a it's 
I know it's a key, it's like a fundamental aspect of your business. And, you know, like candidly, like from my, like, I see a lot of just like, because we're a media company in the fertility space. Like I, I know what a, a lot of companies in the reproductive health space do in the hormonal health space and the sexual health space. And mm-hmm. we are, we're not paying attention, enough attention to this right now. Um, mm-hmm. like it's, um, this is a, this is a bold mission that is just so needed in our space. Um, we just, mm-hmm. we're not talking enough about it. So, um, I'm so glad you're grabbing the bull by the horns and, and doing a show. Um, and I know that you're, you're the leader to do it. So, um, well, Noel, this has been absolutely fantastic. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah. So, um, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm always happy to connect with anyone, answer any questions about reproductive health, or if you're on your own founder journey, talk through it. Um, cause it is, a hard journey to say the least. And we're stronger in numbers when we have a wonderful support system. Um, our website, Nula.com. Um, we're at Nula Health on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. So yeah. All check the things. Out. I forgot my one one last question. So if you could restrict anything about the fertility industry, what would it be? Accessibility and affordability. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I love it. Thanks. So simple. So important. And absolutely yeah. something that we need to rescript. So, um, well, Noelle, again, absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story. So much grit, a little bit of luck, but a shit ton of grit too. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. um, and I know that we will connect soon and um, thank you again. Wonderful. Thank you. It was such an honor to be on okay. here. Thanks. Talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to the future of fertility. We hope you leave here feeling empowered about all of the exciting innovations taking place in the fertility space. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to click subscribe and be sure to check out Dear Infertility, our popular podcast slash advice column, where we chat with experts about all things fertility and fertility and pregnancy loss. To learn more and to join our free fertility support community, head to prescripted.com.